Hear the word of God from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier with they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning, morning, church family. It's so good to be with you, to worship together in holy and sacred assembly as a congregation together. It's so good to see your beautiful faces. I love being able to worship with you this chilly morning. Guys, can I just throw this out there? The weather here in North Carolina is weird. It's tricky. Even for this Florida boy, a few days ago, I was able to come to work wearing shorts and flip-flops. Last night, I was, had a jacket on. We were outside for a little bit. I'm like, this is way too cold to be outside. Now, I know I should be used to this. this is, I've been in North Carolina for a very long time now. But every time, the weather still gets me. I don't understand. I get confused often. Very easily, as a matter of fact. But this Florida guy loves wearing flip-flops. And this Florida guy loves wearing shorts. Yes, who feels me on that? Anybody? I don't know. Can I just throw this out there? I feel like pants and jeans are just that comfortable. <laughs> right? Shorts are just so much more comfortable. Is that, is that just me? Anybody else? I feel like I'm a middle school boy. <laughs> Am I, right? That's how, that's how my wife makes fun of me because that's how I like to dress during the week. I've been dressed like a middle school guy. I like, it's cold outside. I want to wear shorts and I still just, I just put a sweatshirt on. I just put two jackets on. I still want to wear shorts. All you middle school boys, you feel me. I appreciate that. (laughs) This weather here is just weird, but I love that being able to do that in this weather and the freedom to do that. That has nothing to do with my sermon. I just wanted to share that with you, (laughs) Just, just for fun. This morning, we're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke. And we've been in this gospel since the beginning of the year, and it's been actually since Advent. We actually started in Luke during an Advent season. And today, we're confronted with an incredible story about a widowed woman who lost her only child. Now, I don't know what happened to this only son of a woman who lived in Nain. And I love it because Sydney came up to me and goes, how do you pronounce that? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Every way we pronounce, it's like like anybody who says there's a correct way to pronounce words in the Bible is like your Western American way of pronouncing it anyway. So it's probably none of it's correct anyway. Just throw that out there. I'm gonna say this, Jesus isn't how you pronounce Jesus. Everybody's like, what? (laughs) Blasphemy. (laughs) They didn't say J like that. Okay, just. (laughs) So we don't know, (laughs) we don't know how this son passed away. But there's this son's funeral, we're told there was a large crowd gathered together. In those days, the way a funeral procession worked was the bereaved person walked in front and right behind was a funeral beer. Buyer? Beer. I looked that one up in Google as well. 
It's pronounced beer officially, but I feel like I need to say buyer. Anybody just anybody with me? B-I-E-R, which I'm a little upset with the NIV for using that word. Like, what is that word? Okay. <laughs> the funeral buyer of beer is actually um, not much more than a wide plank of wood. This is where they placed the dead body. It wasn't a closed coffin, it was an open coffin. And the body of a deceased person was laid out on that plank of wood, already embalmed, and to be taken to whatever grave uh, place they were to be entombed. So, here's how the story is. This woman is walking in front of this funeral procession, in front of the funeral bier of her son. And her son's wrapped body is on top of that open plank of wood. The funeral procession would be headed by a band of professional mourners. You actually would hire professional mourners, people who would be good at wailing and, and mourning and weeping. And, and then there'd be instruments and there'd be cries of grief. This is to be expected. Death brings sorrow. Unexpected death brings greater sorrow. Perhaps the most greatest sorrow of all is the unexpected death of a young person. Am I right? This woman experienced the loss of a child, her only son. Now remember, she was already widowed. This is significant because in that culture, women didn't own land or wasn't able to work, have jobs. Their primary role was to raise a family. There was no public service or government to help them. When parents became old, their children took care of them. In this case, we we're told this woman was already a widow. And then with the death of her son, this woman was basically left to beg from family and friends, and then eventually maybe even on the streets. Her means of support and security in that culture was gone. So as the funeral procession was headed to the cemetery, this is where they were going, they were headed to the place where they're gonna place the body. Jesus, his disciples, his crew, his, his group, his entourage was, was coming in. And they were entering into the city, and perhaps out of respect, Jesus saw this funeral procession. So they step aside of the road, you know, the way your car would go when you see a procession of cars. They step aside and let the procession go through. So Jesus stopped. And they saw this procession, and this procession of mourners were going through. We see some incredible words in this text. Powerful words. It says this. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. I love that so much. I'm going to say that again. Hear me. When the Lord, when Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her. Note first that Jesus saw her. This woman who had suffered such a great loss might have felt invisible. She may have believed her life was over. She may have concluded that God did not care about her or all these bad things would not have happened to her. She may have felt cast out or forgotten at least that's the way that her culture would have seen her. But it says Jesus saw her. This is not like you might see someone on the road and wave as you, at them as you pass by. Jesus not only saw her, but he entered into her heart and into her pain. Luke uses the strongest word possible here to describe Jesus' emotion, his pity. The root word from which comes refers to what is inside, because the heart, the liver, the lungs, it's, it's the, the viscera. It's, it's that stuff inside of you. Jesus f saw her and he felt with the deepest part of her, of him. He felt her. His heart, that word for the inside of him, went out to her. This is not the only time we read this happening in the Gospels. Jesus saw the lepers. 
the lame, the demon-possessed, and the blind. Jesus saw the tax collectors, the woman who'd been caught in adultery, and even the Samaritan woman at the well. All these people had similar characteristic. They might have been invisible to the rest of the world. But the Bible is so clear. Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you might feel invisible today. Perhaps you've struggled. Life has been a struggle lately. Maybe you've suffered great loss. Maybe you've suffered failures. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel even that God doesn't care about you. There's a musical called Chicago, and there's a song that one of the characters sing. And it says, cellophane should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane, because you can walk right by me, look right through me, and never know I'm there. I'm not a good singer, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you guys give me on musicals, I can start singing newsies all day. But there's a song that says, cellophane should have been my name, because you could look. And this character in this musical was just somebody who was just overlooked. His wife, in particular, wanted nothing to do with him. He was unseen, unknown. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that no one sees you? Have you ever felt like you're alone? Have you ever felt like maybe you're inconsequential? Maybe you don't matter. Like you disappeared and who would notice or care? Jesus notices. Jesus sees. He cares. Please hear the message of the gospel so loud and clear. You matter and you are important. You are made in the image of God and you are worth so much. In fact, the Bible says that the, sh the shepherd leaves behind the 99 and goes looking and searching and hunting for the one. The Bible says that when you are found, there is a celebration of rejoicing. The shepherd reaches down, grabs that sheep, and is just so happy. Over and over again, the Bible says that Jesus sees the invisible, the unseen, the cast out, the left behind, the one who feels that they cannot be seen. And that should tell you that no one is out of his sight. He sees you and knows you, and get this, chooses to love you. How powerful of a reminder do we need to hear that right now? Now, some of you may feel a different kind of invisibleness. You may be popular, successful, have a ton of friends. Maybe everyone views you as important. However, people see only what you can produce. They may take you for granted. You may feel that the expectations are so high that you may have to keep up some kind of facade all the time. Though everyone seems to like you, you may still feel like no one really sees you. You guys know what I'm talking about? The real you, the person who struggles with the insecurity and is afraid that they cannot meet all the expectations upon them. Does that resonate with anyone? <laughs> that you have to keep on performing so that everybody will keep on liking you. You have to keep on striving and earning. You have to keep on doing. And you get tired and deep down inside you think, but if they really knew me, if I stopped performing, I want you to know that Jesus sees you through your masks, 
through your performance. He knows the real you. And get this, get this. This is crazy, but get this. He still loves you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform. You did nothing to earn his love to begin with. There's nothing that you can do now to keep it. He loves you because out of his goodness, out of his character, and his love for you, he chooses to know you and to still love you. That's the beauty and the truth of the gospel that our Lord understands. So even though we may feel all alone in this world, we're not alone. The Lord sees, he hears, he understands. The Lord has compassion, and this is why we rejoice as a people. Praise God for a Jesus who sees us, who gets us, and who loves us. That's our gospel reality. In our text, Jesus saw this woman, and his heart went out to her, and then he said, don't cry. Now, I'm not a professional counselor, but I've been pastoring for a little while now, and I've had the honor to walk alongside people in their grief. I can say pretty confidently, that's not a good thing to say. (laughs) I'm just going to be honest with you. I I would not recommend to counseling people or walking alongside grieving people, oh, don't cry. (laughs) Makes you look ugly. (laughs) Don't do it. That's not a good way to counsel anybody. Don't do it, okay? But... Ligon Duncan said regarding this text that the philosophers in those days very often comforted the bereaved with these words, do not weep, it will do no good. That's what Ligon Duncan said in his study of that philosophies of that age, that a, comfort, a common word would be like, why do you even cry? It doesn't, doesn't do any good, so don't even cry. This is not what Jesus was saying and offering here. Instead, Jesus says the words don't weep because he knew what he was about to do. He was giving hope to this widow. He wasn't, he wasn't grief counseling at this time. He was setting up for a miracle. Right? So for those of you who read this and say, well, I guess I shouldn't cry when someone dies. No, don't read that into this text. That is not what Jesus is saying. Weep. As a matter of fact, the Bible says weep with those who weep. Okay? So don't make that mistake. Just throw that out there. So don't take that to people. That would be the worst. If we counsel that as grief counseling in here, that's just not good. But Jesus is setting up for a miracle that's about to happen. Something that's so countercultural to what's going to happen. See, he does something crazy. Jesus then goes and touches the funeral plank, touches the funeral beer. Beer. I have trouble saying that word. I don't know why. I want to say buyer every time. This is so significant. Today, people might go to an open casket visitation or something, and they would touch the casket, but... For that culture, nobody did such a thing because there was no greater ritual impurity in Israel than to touch a corpse or to touch a thing that a corpse has touched. It does not mean one day of ritual uncleanliness. It means seven days of ritual uncleanness and a very elaborate purification ceremony to attend with it. So if you happen to by accident touch something that touched a dead person, it wasn't that you're just unclean for that day. You're unclean for seven days, and you have to go through a a, a ceremony of purification. In other words, you're unclean if you touch anything that has a dead person around it. Anything a corpse touched was declared unclean. So if you came into contact with anything that a a corpse touched or then came in contact with another person even, that person became unclean as well. There is no more defilement, more dramatic than contact with the dead in the ceremonial law of Israel. Yet here is Jesus reaching his hand out to touch the funeral bear. Jesus touched the coffin. 
and he spoke to the young man. Jesus told the young man, get up. Now let's just freeze for a second. In your mind, can you imagine the look on the face of all the people as Jesus speaks these words? Some may have had a look of disgust because you're touching a corpse, you're touching a dead thing, you're, you're becoming dirty. Others may have had a look, be like, why would you say such a weird and cruel thing? Get up, the kid is dead. Others may have had that look that says, are you crazy? Like, what are you doing? Others maybe had expectation. Maybe they thought, well, this guy's done some crazy things in the past. This guy's healed people. This guy has said some amazing things, just, just, just maybe. And we're told that this young man sits up. Then he says he began to talk. Now, don't know what he said. Could have been something like, praise the Lord. Maybe, where am I? Could be, I'm hungry. Could be, whatever. He could be, how's the weather? I don't know what he said. But I love this random tidbit of that the man sat up and began to talk. Luke could have said just the man came back to life or that he was returned to his mother. He could have just left it there. But I think Luke put this bit in there because that's exactly what the man did. He just started talking. Maybe he was a talker already. Maybe that's just who he was. Mom, where are we? Why are there so many people around? Why is Billy here? I never liked Billy. Hey girl, you come here often? I don't know what he said. But he could have just said stuff. Maybe that's just who he was. And I love that Luke put this tidbit in there just to show that this is what happened. If you were just making this up, you don't say something like that. But the people who were the witnesses, they said, man, this guy got up talking. He got up speaking. Now the response of the people was incredible. It says they were filled with awe and praised God. They were filled with awe and praised God. Well, isn't that, number one, isn't that obvious? Right, if you saw a dead kid come to life, I think all would be yes, something you would feel. You would be a little bit blown away, right? Like I, I went to a magician once, and I saw them do some amazing stuff, and I was like, oh, right? I usually use, I use all there as my exclamation, in case you got that. I was like, oh. It was amazing, I was blown away. I saw a magician do some incredible stuff, and I was like, what is this? Blown away. How much more than if a kid came to life? You'd be like, oh, I don't have a facial expression for that. They were filled with awe. They were amazed. Guys, and I want you to understand that there were witnesses. Guys, when the Bible talks about these situations, these are situations that happen to people. And when the stories of Jesus were going out and they're circulating everywhere, there are people who could be like, I was there. They can refute such a statement. Oh, no, that never happened. I'm from that city of Nain. No, they, can't say, they didn't say that because they were there and they actually saw it happen. They met the boy. Do you guys see how historically reliable the Gospels are? They couldn't have been made up because people were there to refute it all left and right. But that's not what happened. It wasn't refuted. The Gospels are good. They were filled with awe. They praised God. I love that. They didn't just say, Jesus, you're the man. Jesus, you're the best. They, they loved, they, that's part of it. But it was like they praised God. They praised God. They knew from whom Jesus came. They praised God. Then it says, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. Now, why do they say that? Why do they say these words, exact words? A great prophet has appeared among us. Well, if you go back to Kings 
1 Kings chapter 17, the exact words were used to describe how Elijah gave back a widow's dead son. The words that he said, he gave back the boy to his mother. His exact words when Jesus gave back his son, back to his mother. The people are praising because his story reminded them of the story of Elijah. And they thought maybe a great prophet is back. Maybe God is speaking to us again. Maybe God has come and the prophet is here. God has come to help his people. And it was a wonderful and appropriate and faith-filled response, but he still had no idea truly to what extent that it meant. It wasn't just that God visited them and gave them a great prophet. No, no. God gave himself in the form of his son. God was there with him that day, but they really had no idea who they were talking about. But we do. He wasn't just a prophet who was there to speak some words. He wasn't just a prophet there to point them back to God. He was the very nature God himself in the form of his son to not just help his people, but to rescue and save his people. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved." See, they didn't know what was happening. They didn't know. They just thought it was a prophet. God come to help his people. We know different. We know better. We know that it's the one who sees us and heals us. He's come and has brought us back from the dead. Paul says that, doesn't say that we were sick in this passage in Ephesians. It doesn't say that we weren't paying attention or trying hard enough to connect with God. He says literally that we were dead, spiritually lifeless. We were that young man. His story is our story as Christians. We were dead in our transgressions. But Jesus stepped into our lives. He stopped the funeral procession and he brings us back to life. He made us spiritually alive. He entered into the unclean place. He came to our reality and to our muck. He sees us and he knows us and he entered into our place and he brings us back from the dead. This is not just a God who, who, who's here to help, but he's a God who's here to save, to redeem, and to resurrect his people. Because of Christ's work through the Holy Spirit, we went from spiritual death to spiritual and eternal life. But people, please understand that the work of Christ in your life was a resurrection work. It was bringing to life what was dead. You are a new creation. You are seen, you are known, yes. and you are loved in Jesus. Hallelujah. I love that. This, this, this widow's son, that's, that's who we are. That's our story. And he sees us and he knows us. Now, I love how the scripture passage ends. It's a little text. It says, this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. How could it not? Right? How could it not? What was dead is now alive. What was unseen is now seen. This is the hope of the world. Guys, it says, the text says that people were shouting, God has come to help his people. 
They didn't exactly know what they were shouting, but they were completely correct. God has come to help his people. The word spread. My people, how much more should we who've experienced death to life should be shouting out, God has come to help his people. Word should be spreading to Judea and to the rest of the world. The news of this is huge. And this is our reality. This is our real life right now as people who've experienced death to life. Now this is not a a guilt-ridden plea for me to go up telling you that you should be sharing the gospel with everybody next door and down the street and every day of your life and you should only be talking about Jesus all the time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if he's brought you from death to life, that should be talked about. Can I just say that? That should be shared. As a matter of fact, that should be something that you wish and crave to share. You've been brought from death to life. And not only that, I love how the response is, God has come to help his people. Guys, can I just say this? As the hands and feet of Jesus, that's what we're called later on in the scriptures, as the hands and feet of Jesus, we should be living in such a manner, walking in such a way, living and working in such a manner that people are like, wow, because of them I can see that God has come to help his people. Do you hear that? I would love it if people could look at the way we live and look at the way we love and then look at the way we forgive and the way we show grace and mercy and just look so different from the culture that people are like, God has come to help his people and he sent this guy and he sent you and he sent me and he sent this weird little church here. I don't know why I called you guys weird. I just felt like it was right. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> we're all, based on anything like me, that we're really weird. I don't know why I call this weird. It just felt right. <laughs> but that's what we're called to do. We're called to be a church that just looks different, stands out, that says, wow, I look at them and I can tell God has come to help his people. Because they've been healed. They've been forgiven. They, what was dead, they're now alive. And I can see it. I can see how they're different people. That's who we are. You're no longer invisible. You're no longer outcast. You no longer have to earn and strive and put on a mask and a facade to be accepted and known and loved. No, guys, through the hope of the gospel, through the truth of Jesus Christ, you're now known, you're, you're looked at, you're made in the image of God, you're precious in his sight. He knows you. The Bible says that he knows the amount of hairs you have on your head. He knows you so well, even the deep, dark secrets of your heart, even the stuff that well, your wife doesn't even know about you. He knows that, and this is wild, and this is crazy, he loves you. And you don't have to earn it, you did nothing to get it, so there's nothing you can do to lose it. He's given you, he's freely offered to you as a gift of grace, he says come and receive my love. And this kid stands up, and we stand up, and we start speaking, he started talking, we start talking. And the world can see that God has come to help his people. I love this story, it's a simple story. This is not one of the most profound theological texts in the Bible, but it points to the beauty of the truth of God and his relationship with us. And we need to be reminded that those of you who know and accepted, those of you who already are believers, those of you who've been renewed, those of you who've been made alive in Christ, we need to be reminded of this over and over again. And for those of you who are in here today, you don't know, but God is doing something in your heart. You're feeling something. You're like, man, I want to be seen like that. I want to be known. I don't want to keep on 
running this wheel called life and in this hamster wheel and I just need something. Can I tell you that this gift of love God offers you doesn't make everything in the world better or perfect. Here's what it does. It doesn't make everything in your life all of a sudden, oh, you only make straight A's now and you got the best job in the world. That's not what happens. What happens is it puts everything in life the way it's supposed to be in perspective. What happens is when you loved and when you have eternal hope, everything looks different. Everything is different. I tell you this truth, ever since, there's certain things in my life that have happened that I, be, I look at the world totally differently after that. After I got married, after I discovered that a, a woman could actually choose to love me and say I love you forever, I was like, that's pretty cool. And I see the world differently. After I had kids, you know, I see the world differently. There's nothing that changes the way you look at the world as much as Jesus Christ knowing his love for you. You were made for it. And if you don't know it, may today be the day that you receive it. My people, I love you. And I want you so desperately to remember, to cling to the love God has for you. And may we be a people that live in such a way that everyone around us says God has come to help his people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for God, your your good news, your word that you see the unseen, that you know us and you love us. God, we thank you for making what is dead alive, calling us to you and calling us to this incredible purpose. Thank you for that reminder today. May we continue to remember as we partake in communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Waypoint Church, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we come to remember all that God has done for us. We come to remember that God, God has visited his people, and we are witnesses of that. We are witnesses of what God has done for us, what he's doing through us, what he's doing in us. And so let's remember, as we come to this table this morning, that Jesus was sent by the Father into the world, that he put on flesh and blood. Why? Why would he do this? Because he loves you. Because he loves you, so that he could raise even you from the dead. That's what our God is doing He's a God of resurrection. He raises up what is dead. He brings to life. He makes new. He makes whole. He brings into the fold. He says those who are, who are once without family, you can be a part of my family. God is bringing us in. Just as Christ has been risen, as he's raised to the life, so are we with him. God has done it. By his death and resurrection, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation so that we might be accepted by God and never forsaken. In Christ, you are never forsaken. 
but that he will be with you always. He sees you. He's a God who sees you. Now, we believe this is meant to be a family meal among fellow Christians as a sign of this relationship that we enjoy and the promise made to have fellowship with God. Our participation in the table, in this meal, is an act of worship as we remember and as we confess Christ crucified and Christ risen. That he has done it and he's doing it. And he'll do it to completion. Now we commune with this same Jesus who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto eternal life. That this bread represents his body, which was broken for you at the cross. For the forgiveness of your sins. That in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. I just want you to take a moment to think about that. That God has weighed that. What is it that you think right now? What keeps me from God? At the cross, Jesus says, nothing. Nothing keeps you from me. Because I've paid for it. You are forgiven. In Christ, we are forgiven. And in the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. That this cup is the new covenant in Christ's blood. And in Christ, there is freedom. Some men are studying 1 Corinthians. We were talking about this very idea that, that Christ has freed us. He doesn't free us to sin. He frees us from sin so that we can live in newness of life. That's what he's doing for us. In Christ, there is freedom. Now, this time, I'm going to invite up our, our servers to come forward. Now, for those new to Waypoint, we, we practice communion by calling people to come forward to receive the elements. We're, in a moment here, we're going to call you to come forward to receive them. And we participate by receiving what God has done for us. If for health reasons or, or any other, you're unable to, to come forward, uh, we, we also have stations set up around the room, as well as designated gluten-free options in the back and up front in what we're serving this morning. And our servers will be standing in the front with, with two servers designated for, for each section. So there'll be a set of servers in front of uh, this row of chairs, and then this section, and this section, and so forth. Waypoint Church, you have been invited to the King's table through the sacrificial love of Jesus. And so at this time, we invite you to come forward and to receive this meal. Come take and eat and know that you are forgiven in Christ.
church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us. God, you have shown us your kindness. God, that you, you see us. God, you draw us to yourself. You, you awaken us from our stupor, from our sleep. God, you wake us up. God, I pray that you would continue to stir our hearts, that you would increase our affections for Jesus. God, fill up our cups, fill us up with the goodness of Christ that's been poured out upon us, that we might be sharing that, pouring it out upon others, that we might share the kindness that we have seen and experienced. God, as we, as we are forgiven ones, God, may we be inviting others to, to see the forgiveness that comes from knowing Christ. God, teach us to live in that. Teach us to live in that new reality, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.